On this episode of AvTalk, Jet Airways halts flights. The FAA lays out its path to recertification of the 737 MAX. And we sit down for a conversation with pilot and author Mark Van Honecker. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello everyone and Ian, especially Ian today. Hello. Uh, hello, hello, Jason. Uh, I'll start right off and say that I'm struggling through throat, nose, etc, etc issues. So I'm going to make Jason do most of the talking for this episode. But thankfully, we've recorded our special guest pre-recorded. So at least that will be sounding somewhat normal. But you get the the Don LaFontaine version of Ian yeah, today. Yeah, you, you do not sound normal today. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank Kinda you. Kind of like that one episode where something was wrong with my audio and my voice was way off. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, at least I can still talk. I, it, this morning when I woke up, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to record at all. So we're we're moving in the right direction. I'd have to do an entire episode myself. That could be dangerous. Oh, that that I mean, I feel like that that would be working without a net right there. Yeah, let's avoid that. So okay. I will take the lead here to save whatever voice you have remaining. First thing we got to talk about is United's new livery revealing tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 23rd. The reveal is just about a little over 12 hours from now, I guess, maybe 12, 16 hours or so. We should say new-ish. New-ish. So they've been teasing it and revealing parts and, and videos of the repaint process the last couple of days. And what we've seen so far doesn't look super dramatic. It's more like I'd say a re probably going to be a refresh of the existing livery rather than a totally new clean sheet livery. Yeah, I mean, based on the they put out a, a video on Monday, and it said that it was kind of like showing the painting process and and the painters working. And one of the scenes that they had in that video was they had someone working on the tail, and they had a schematic of what the tail is supposed to look like at the end, plastered on the tail, and it just looks like the globe is now white. A couple different people have sent me kind of uh, mock-ups or, or you know CGI of what the logo is supposed to look like. I don't know how much stock to put into to either of those, but I haven't really been you know thoroughly impressed with with anything that I've seen. But but then again, I guess we're not supposed to be because it's an you know and and they've tamped down expectations from the very beginning. They were like you know no this is not a new livery. This is just us kind of sort of painting the plane. Yeah, it's more of a, a branding refresh. So it's not just delivery. Some other elements of the airline's uh, identity and marketing brand will be uh, refreshed a little bit, adding, I guess, a little purple, maybe taking out the gold. I don't know. We'll see. I'm heading out to Ian's hometown of Chicago tomorrow, and I'll be taking a look at the livery and, uh, and some of the refresh products they have firsthand. Hopefully, a day trip, uh, LaGuardia and Newark willing. We'll see. But too bad I don't get to see you tomorrow, Ian. So close. Well, it's Yeah, it's so close, but no hot dogs. No hot dogs this time, but we'll see. Yeah. So we'll give an update in uh, the next episode, 57, what we personally think of the new and or slash refreshed livery. We're going to have opinions, I think. 
I, I think we'll have opinions, but I, I feel like I've already formed mine, unless this has been a masterful bit of misdirection on United's part, and, and they come out with Ooh, uh, that'd be good. You know, the reinvention of the tulip or something. But I mean, you know, it's I feel like it's going to be a step in a direction, whether it's a step back or a step forward. I mean, I, I, we'll see tomorrow, or we'll have seen a few days ago for the, for those listening. But you know, it, it it'll be. I think what's more important as far as United's concerned is not necessarily what they're going to paint the planes as, but what else is going to be refreshed and how is that going to be received? Right. So we shall see. And by the time this is released on Friday, I'm sure you could say, boy, were those idiots wrong. It's a super fantastic new livery. And sure, if that happens, so be it. And we'll talk about it in the next episode. Let us move on to to some things that that actually happened in the past and happened fairly quickly after we recorded, but not right after we recorded. Not the next day. So that was okay uh, as far as kind of those things are concerned. But Jet Airways has, um, in their words, temporarily halted their operations. Yeah, temporarily. I I do not know of a single airline that has ever temporarily suspended airlines and, and recovered and become a thriving airline other than you know, I guess bankruptcy is a whole other process, but can you recall any airline that legitimately stopped operating and came back from the dead? Not that just completely stopped. Right. I, so I, I can't think of one, no. Jet Airways, it wasn't like your your Wow Air or Primera where they just kind of, you know, flipped the switch and in the middle of operating flights, they were gone the next day. No, Jet Airways was a slow, painful drawn out process where airplanes were being repossessed and grounded left and right and they were taking deliveries of uh, the 737 MAX before that aircraft itself was grounded and they were never even flying them. So they they dwindled down, planes were repossessed in Amsterdam, they stopped operating international flights entirely and then it became down to like one 737-800 and a couple ATRs flying around and then they said, okay, well, we're we're out of money, so we're done. Yeah, and this was a, a years long process. I mean, it, it wasn't even like a like a it was a six month we ran into a you know liquidity issue and, and the it's just not working out or, or something like that. This was a I mean a nearly 18 month, two year long process. And and beyond that, there had been financial issues with Jet, I mean, for for a very long time, just as as a going ongoing issue, I mean, and so they kind of you know increase the the issues kind of stacked and stacked, and you know there were various points in time where you know new funding was forthcoming, they were looking for partnerships, and then you know the government was going to step in, and then all of that kind of didn't happen. Nothing, nothing to rescue them ever materialized, and and so they just said, okay, we're we're done now. Yep. But they're they're trying to get back in the air. They, they see, I mean, the the company still exists. They still have a a, a large fleet. I mean, it, it's not like they had all of their planes repossessed or anything like that. It, it's not like they had all of their planes released. Some of their planes are their planes. So it, it'll be interesting to to see if they can you know get back in the air in in some way, shape, or form, whether or not. They're kind of bailed out in any way by the the government, or if you know the the banks, their their creditors decide that they're going to give them more money. That I think it remains to be seen. Right, and it it just goes to prove 
how incredibly fierce the competition is in India and how difficult it is to be successful there right now. I think one of the, some account on Twitter, Finception or something like that, posted a, a video, basically a time lapse over the period of a decade of the passenger load on each one of these Indian airlines and a few of them dropped off entirely like Jet and Kingfisher and Indigo just kept rising and rising and rising and rising and now they have by far the most passengers in India and they're they're a low cost airline so it, it's very difficult for a full service airline like Jet Airways to compete with an ultra low cost carrier these days. Yeah, I mean, especially I think there's a couple things there, and 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 one is certainly the the full service versus low cost and and, and the cost structure there, but it's also who is Jet competing against as far as you know long haul route structure and things like that, and then also you know where's the passenger load coming in from and going to in India, and I'm not extremely familiar with the Indian market, but because it is such a, a fast growing market I've, I've been you know doing a lot more researches especially since jet has kind of you know been on the downfall and, and we've been kind of watching it is will it you know will they last another week will they last another month what'll happen and finally they said no we, we can't go anymore but it's interesting to see where the capacity is being where it's being picked up based on you know spicejet is finding you know new planes to fly where where jet was flying and things like that. So I think that's one one interesting part of the story. But I think another very interesting part of the story is from the other end is that you know Jet had something like two hundred Max on order. Yeah, a huge backlog for Boeing. Granted, I mean that that's kind of a, a dent in the the seven three seven Max backlog, but it's it's not. I don't think it's insignificant. No, right now it looks as if SpiceJet will be leasing some of the Jet Airways seven three. 800s that are now temporarily without in operation since SpiceJet itself already has several Max 8s that are now grounded due to its own issues. Yeah, so it as always there are so many moving parts and it'll be interesting to see what happens if if Jet tries to get back in the air or or what happens if they don't and where does that capacity go? Right. So speaking of um, airlines on death watch, Jet Airways is now, I guess we could call them dead, or maybe they come back from the dead at some point. But Avianca Brazil is the next airline, which has kind of been the walking dead for a while. They're they're alive, but kind of not really. Uh, they, They still operate, but they're facing the same kind of financial difficulties that several other airlines recently have faced. They have faced several of their their leasing air, uh, companies have gone uh, seek to repossess airlines. So GECAS is repossessing eight aircraft that leases to Avianca Brazil. Right after, right before that, Aircastle said it was repossessing ten of its A320s. This comes after its A330s, its long haul fleet, were removed from the fleet. So Avianca Brazil is. Another airline that is not looking good, it is important to remember that Avianca Brazil is not actually tied to regular Avianca. It is merely, they have merely licensed the Avianca brand name. So the rest of Avianca, Colombia, and all the other associated South American countries are are not in jeopardy. So what you're saying is maybe it's not such a good idea to license your brand name out. 
Yeah, you should be careful about who you license your name out to. I mean, Avianca Brazil was looking good for a few years, but Brazil's a tricky economy. Let's just say yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, we're, yeah. I feel like every time we, I mean, we try and stay in the aviation space as much as possible. But because of, you know, as our as our good friend John Ostrar says, there's always an aviation angle to everything. It gets really tough to kind of maintain that, just that aviation space and not wander into, you know, economics and politics and things like that. But we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to, to, to stick with this one and, and hope that uh, Avianca Brazil stays off of our list of airlines that used to exist. Yeah. I don't know if you can count on that one, but we'll keep I, you I'm not counting on it, but, but I remain ever the optimist. Yes. So the news from the 737 MAX situation this week is that the FAA has announced they're calling it the Joint Authorities Technical Review, uh, the JATR. Rolls right uh, off the tongue. Because aviation loves, uh, loves a good acronym. So that was established earlier this month, and now we know who's going to be on that, yes, uh, the con- on the jatter. The confirmed participants include Australia, Brazil, Canada, China, the European Union, Japan, Indonesia, Singapore, and the United Arab Emirates. And Jason, when we were discussing this earlier, you made mention of, of one notable authority that uh, is not on that list. Yes, Ethiopia is uh, inconspicuously missing from this list, isn't it? Yeah, I, I I would argue that it is conspicuously missing from the list. Yeah, that's probably a better better word for that case. <laughs> but no, I I thought that was you know an interesting thing to point out that it's interesting how this list came about. A few of them make very very good sense. Uh, I mean, they all make very very good sense, but it's interesting to me why possibly you know some were included and, and some were not necessarily like um, like Singapore's involved but not Ethiopia which is a uh, interesting interesting so one to me FAA states that the team will evaluate aspects of the 737 Max automated flight control system including its design and pilots interaction with the system to determine its compliance with all applicable regulations and to identify future enhancements that might be needed So the team will meet for the first time on April 29th, and the work is expected to take 90 days from that time. And I believe I've seen that that isn't necessarily when the um, 737 MAX may fly again or be certified for flight, but that is how long this particular uh, technical review team is expected to take, which is 90 days from April 29th. So it's going to be well into July by the time they wrap this up. Yeah, I mean it, it, I've seen the same kind of caution put out that, you know, the the 90-day timeline is not necessarily at, you know, on July 28th the airplane will be certified and on July 29th it'll be flying again. That that's that's not necessarily what this is. This is, you know, the the review of the the MCAS software update and and the associated updates that Boeing has made to to get the aircraft recertified. And then they're all going to look at this together, which, which I think is, you know, and we've talked about this before, you know, how the, the paradigm of aircraft certification is changing because of how this, the grounding of the 737 came about. And so we'll, we'll see at the end of 90 days what decisions are taken or if there's, is there a report issued? Is it kind of, you know, some sort of blessing to to continue on with the certification it'll be interesting to see 
what comes out within those 90 days that kind of give us idea give us an idea of what's going to happen after that yep so we'll see we'll keep tuned uh, there's not much news to report on the 737 max grounding as of this time everyone's been pretty quiet since that initial report came out from Ethiopian i guess a couple of weeks ago at this point and there's been pretty much radio silence since then yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that's really happened since then is a few airlines continue to move their aircraft into storage. Americans moving kind of storage in, storage into storage. They moved some aircraft that were stored in Tulsa to Roswell so that they could move other aircraft that were not yet in permanent store or semi-permanent storage to Tulsa for storage. Air Canada played ping pong between Windsor and Vancouver, so that was an interesting thing that I didn't really understand. Um, they switched two aircraft, so maybe they're you know doing maintenance in in one area so that they can get things back in the air as quickly as possible. And then Southwest has all of their seven three seven Max aircraft in Victorville, except for the one that suffered the engine failure leaving Orlando. <laughs> that one's still there, huh? That one is still in Orlando. Yeah. So the update on that was that carriers are to to be on the lookout for you know engine issues as part of the leap engine, which should be an easy thing to investigate considering that none of the planes are flying and you can do maintenance at at a roughly leisurely pace. Yeah, that's actually something I, I know people in my circles have been wondering about is do you take – have the airlines been able to take advantage of this downtime to do modification work on these aircraft that they were planning on doing in the future like Air Canada installing Wi-Fi on their Max's WestJet installing new business class seats on them. It could be a great opportunity for them to do this work. I don't know if they can though while they're grounded. It, it's interesting. I wonder when when they do come back online in the air, if we'll see these modifications have been quietly done while they have just already been on the ground conveniently. Yeah, and, and, and that's one of the things that I was wondering about too, not necessarily as far as the interior modifications not specifically, but, but modifications in general in, in that the, the Boeing package is a software update essentially. And so once that software is done, do the airlines get to load it and do they begin testing it? And and someone pointed out that you know the FAA or or you know this now this uh, this joint authorities review could you know mandate changes and and so that would render it moot. So I guess that was an you know an interesting an interesting idea that that I didn't necessarily think of initially. But it'll be interesting to see how quickly once everything is approved, the aircraft gets flying again. That was one of the the concerns that not concerns uh, questions, questions that I had about how this would work out. Yeah. So, what else we have before we take a quick break? How about let's uh, let's. I, I mean, I don't want to to push any buttons of yours, but I will say that there's a, a particular topic about which you both care very deeply and not at all. And mm, yes, uh, I, th- I know this where you're week, going. Or last week, JetBlue finally. Kind of, sort, sort of, of, maybe, kind of, made an announcement. Yes. So for years, as long as I've been involved in the airline industry, JetBlue has hinted and suggested and and really just danced around the idea of announcing flights to Europe or South America. And there were always articles of they're going to acquire the 787 or A330 or who knows what. But finally, after years of speculation and people caring and not caring, 
uh, JetBlue finally announced that they will eventually fly to London, and that's it. Uh, we don't know what airport. We know it will be in 2021, maybe, probably. They will do it by converting some of their A321neo orders to the A321neo LR. There will be a new mint cabin on board, but they're playing it very much like Southwest played Hawaii, where they announced that they're going to do a thing, but that's it. No details, no no price, no date. We don't even know what airport they're operating to. It could be Gatwick. It could be Heathrow. It could be, I don't know, one of the other four airports. To be fair, I don't think they know what airport no, they're operating they truly to don't. yet. They have to obtain the slots to be able to do that. And they, they haven't done that yet. Some people have criticized it, announcing that early as giving competitors a heads up of what to do. But I don't think there's any secret at this point. It's been a rumor forever. And I'm just happy to see them finally, finally do it so I can start caring about it again. Because I definitely crossed the threshold a year or two ago of not caring until they announced it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where I think everybody, and we've talked about this maybe once or twice on the podcast before, but everyone was like, we know you're going to do it eventually. Can you just do it so we can move on? Right, but they got so much free media attention for well, years, and they're going to get so much ev more. Every now and then there would be articles of like JetBlue maybe flying to Europe. Like, yeah, we know. We know. They're going to eventually <laughs> do a thing. Come back when they're doing the thing. And we're, we're still not at that point, but at least they've announced their intention to later announce a thing, which is good. They've, they've confirmed that they want to do a thing, not that they're going to do a thing. Right. So here we are. I, now that they have announced it, I am excited for the idea of JetBlue flying from, again, Boston or JF Boston and or JFK to London. There is no reason flying from New York to London should be exponentially more expensive than flying New York to Seattle when it's practically the same flight. It's a couple hundred miles shorter, but why should a flight to London be just so much more expensive, and I think they're going to really disrupt the transatlantic premium cabin industry, just like they did with Mint uh, for Transcon flights here in the U.S. I, I think that'll be a very interesting site, and and one that, while I don't think I'll be regularly taking advantage of it, would be definitely interesting to to try. Yeah, you'll get a JetBlue transatlantic flight out of Chicago in 20 never. Oh, yeah. No, no. It, 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 it'll be an, an E190 from 19... Ooh, could be an you know, A220. Uh, remember, back when go. it was still Bombardier, they did do a proving flight from London City nonstop to JFK. Yeah, so there you go. It's possible. It'll never happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but possible. It, it's What's below possible? Uh, improbable. There you go. Let, let's take a quick break now, and then we will come back and have a delightful conversation with a wonderful pilot, author, and, and all-around avgeek. Mark Van Honecker is going to join us in, in just a moment. So it's stay with us, and one. we will be back shortly. Welcome back to AvTalk. We are joined by a very special guest, a pilot for British Airways and author extraordinaire, Mark Van Honecker. Welcome to AvTalk. 
Oh, I'm uh, very happy to be here. Thank you. Mark, welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Thank you. Thanks. So for anyone not familiar with Mark's, I'll call it a compendium at this point because you're you're in a wide variety of places. You're a first officer for British Airways, first, I guess first and foremost in the aviation world. But then I hesitate to call them side projects, but the other thing that you do is, is write and rather beautifully, I, I must say, about aviation in general. Your first book, uh, Skyfaring, came out a few years ago. Your second book, which remind me the title again? It's called uh, How to Land a Plane. How to Land a Plane. So so helpful information exactly. for, exactly. for <laughs> listeners to this podcast, I think. That will be out on the in the US on the 30th of April. That's right. Um, yeah. So yeah. so we're looking forward to that. And and we wanted to have you on the show to talk about your piloting career um, because you've recently made a switch in your in what you're flying, and also talk about what we can expect to see in the book out out this month. So let's dive into the change in your career. You were a 747 pilot. You are now a 787 pilot. And I'd love to hear more about kind of some of the the differences between flying the aircraft, not necessarily how the aircraft handles or anything like that, but but is it a different kind of flying stepping from, from the 747 to the 787? Yeah, I mean, I so I when I first started with uh, with British Airways, I was flying the Airbus A three twenty series, so three nineteens, twenties, and then eventually three twenty ones on short haul routes in Europe. And then I switched pretty much as soon as I could to the seven forty seven. I'd, I'd been, you know, it was the plane I dreamed about flying since I was a kid. And it's your audience uh, doesn't need any uh, it doesn't need any introduction to the glories of the seven forty seven. I'm sure, but I was just very very taken with that aircraft even as a small kid. So I flew that for 11 years and then, you know, it became time to, to sort of think about a change. And, uh, you know, there's, there were a few options, of course, there was the A380, the, the 777, the 787, I, I could have gone back to short haul flying, but the 787 was, was kind of the, the one I, I, I was really drawn to. It's, um, you know, it's, it has a number of really um, interesting features, uh, for a from a pilot's perspective, as well as from a passenger's perspective. And it's opening up a lot of sort of, uh, long, long, thin routes, I guess, just as it was designed to do. So it was a chance, it was a chance to go to some, to some cities that I'd already uh, known quite well, but the 747 had stopped going to like, uh, like Tokyo and Narita. As well as to go to a bunch of new cities every every month or every two months now, I'm going to a city I've never been to before. But in, ter- in terms of flying it, it's I mean it is really a, a step change in technology, several step changes. You know the 747-400 that I flew was I think it first flew in 1988. You guys might know that more accurately than I do, but it was it was based on a design that that first flew 50 years ago in February. In fact, the 787 was it was a clean sheet design and has a number of really nice things from a pilot's perspective it has because it's made from uh, composite materials you can you can pressurize the aircraft to a, to a more natural level of, of air density and you can also have a more humid environment one of the reasons that humidity is controlled on on aluminum airplanes is is uh, is that you uh, water and, and metal tend to get along that well so you, you know it's in terms of corrosion it's better to have a drier atmosphere uh, the 787 is uh, not aluminum, so uh, you can have a, a more humid atmosphere. But it's, it's got a head-up display, which I'd, I'd, I'd never used before. So it's a little transparent screen that we lower uh, between our between our eyes and, and the windscreen, and then critical data about the flight is projected onto that. So we can, you know, we can look out at the outside world and still have the most essential instruments right in front of us. So it's yeah, it's 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 an amazing plane to fly. The, one of the big changes, of course, um, is how much fuel it uses. The sort of figure we used on the 747 was, um, as a as a rough estimate, was 10 tons an hour. So if you were 
you know, calculating your holding fuel and you had, uh, in addition to all your reserves, you had another 10 tons. Well, you knew that was about an hour that you could, that you could hold. It's exactly, or almost exactly half that on a 787, four or five tons is a, is a good, is a good figure. And of course it's a smaller airplane, but, um, but it's not, you know, it's not half the size. <laughs> so, um, you can see in just in those numbers, the kind of efficiencies that have been built into it. So you mentioned the HUD, and I'm very interested to to see or to hear about how that transition works. Is it something that is immediately much better, or is it something that it takes some getting used to, or is it just kind of one of those things where you're like, okay, this is this is how it is now? Um, it is. It does become quite natural. We don't we don't tend to use it very often during the cruise. In fact, it's used mostly on landing. It does the the way the scale you know the if you compare the way the heading your heading appears on the head up display versus how it appears on the on the sort of standard primary flight display because it's on it's on a real world scale it, it feels more skittish in a way and you just have to kind of get used to the fact that you're looking at at the the heading indicators on the outside world it's very useful on landing especially if the, if you're not flying an instrument approach there's something called the flight uh, path vector which is uh, you know, one of the things I, I point out in in uh, how to land a plane is that a, a plane is often not moving um, in the direction that it's pointing in. It's often, um, you know, planes are often inclined slightly upwards, even uh, not only in level flight, but even when they're descending because of the way the the wings work. And of course, if the you know if you're inclined into wind, that, that's also true in a lateral sense. You could be pointing off to one side and, and moving sort of sideways in, in the along your flight path. But the the, um, the flight path vector accounts for all that. It just it sh- shows you exactly where the aircraft is moving, and that's a really useful feature on landing. So there's a lot that is great about the seven eight seven. Huge leap in technology over the seven four. But what do you think you miss most about the old seven four seven after a, a bit of time on the seven eight? Well, the biggest thing is is pretty pedestrian actually. It's that I miss. So in, in the seven forty seven, there was our uh, our flight crew bunks, our, our rest area that, that we go into to have a sleep when there's when we're on a trip with three or four pilots that rest area was inside the flight deck and there was also a bathroom inside the flight deck so that whole the whole operation of of getting changed brushing your teeth and going to going to bed in quotes all of that was done without ever having to leave the flight deck and on the 787 uh there's uh, the bathroom is the the bathroom that's at the front of the passenger cabin um, and the the crew rest area is for the flight crew is is accessed from the forward galley. So, you know, if there's if you're um, you know, it's just it's just a less private environment. And of course, if you if you decide you uh, want to get up and have a glass of water, you have to put your uniform on, and you know, and it's it's a little less sort of self contained, I guess. And and it sounds like a small thing, <laughs> but it's but it's it's you know, it's one of those small things that, that that's a big part of your life of your minute to minute life the 787 flight deck is a lot quieter which i definitely appreciate so it's it's a much quieter environment leaving the flight deck to use the the bathroom or, or to go to your to your um, to your break that gives you a lot more time to talk to to the rest of the crew and to passengers as well so in that sense it's more social <laughs> and that's 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 definitely an advantage an advantage it's not nothing but it's definitely not the answer i was expecting so that's interesting <laughs> um yeah i mean it's i mean the other thing i guess is there's you do get a little when you see it when you see a 747 um, from the terminal window. There's I mean it just has that look. You know I remember my last flight on it was to Cape Town and as I was walking into the terminal in Cape Town I like looked back through the windows and you see this thing and you think 
you, you know, even after 11 years, you think, my, you know, I, I can't, I just can't believe that that thing, you know, flies, let alone the, you know, that I was part of the crew that flew it. And, uh, it, it, it's just such an, uh, an iconic shape. And, um, I still feel like a big kid when I see it. And the 787 is, you know, it's, it has many advantages, but it's not, it doesn't have that iconic sort of silhouette. Uh, maybe, maybe it will in time, but I suspect the 747 was one of a kind. I don't know. What do you guys, what do you, what do you think of how the 787 looks? I definitely think you can't beat the 7-4. There, there's not, in my opinion, and there is not a better looking commercial aircraft. The 7-8, uh, I don't so much think the, the Dash 8 is really the best looker. The 9, I think proportionally looks really great. It doesn't have that that same feeling, that same, I don't know, there's definitely just a, a lot of emotion behind the 7-4 that just makes it, when you see it, you have a lot more feelings towards it than the seven eight. We're just not there yet with it, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. You know what is a really um, good looking airplane? I think is actually the A three fifty. I think those winglets are just. I think they basically were designed by by some Porsche designer or something, and and they worried about the aerodynamics after or something. I mean, they just they just look they look really really cool. I just love the, so the eye shadow the, on the uh, flight deck uh, windows that they have. Yeah, I've seen some of those. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. The transition to the, the, the 787 from the 747, in, in addition from losing the ability to not put your jacket on to go to the bathroom, which, which I, I can I can see how that would be, I mean, couple, how many, how long is the flight? How many, you know, that I could see how that would be like one of those little things where you're like, yeah, I, I do miss that. Yeah. it's just, It sounds ridiculous when you're flying, you know, 6,000 miles across the planet, but it's it's one of those things that, yeah, comes into your, into your day-to-day life, yeah. So I have not yet had a chance to to read your your latest book, How to Land a Plane. But would I be correct in assuming that it talks about how to land a plane? <laughs> well, well, uh, yes and no. Um, so the spoiler alert is that you you cannot learn how to land a plane by reading a book. But thinking about the landing is a really good way about thinking how planes fly in the first place. And you know, I think I, I think most pilots would say that they find takeoff's more fun, but landing's more challenging. I think that's probably what a lot of my colleagues would say. Why that's true is, you know, is something worth exploring because it gets into into all the the sort of details really quickly about, about what keeps planes in the air and how pilots control them. And, you know, a lot of the basics that come into, into flying, there's a sort of standard four forces diagram, which talks about, you know, thrust and drag and lift and weight. Um, the standard three axes, so pitches, you know, pitches is how you move on a seesaw, let's say, and roll is how you move. I can't even think of an analogy um, from everyday life, but it's it's sort of that side to side rolling, rolling, I guess, like if you're on a boat and it's pitching from side to side. And yaw is, is if you're on a turntable. So, you know, planes um, can move in all of those axes and have controls that are designed to maneuver the aircraft in each of those. And so the landing is a really good way of thinking about, you know, about how planes fly in the first place. And I hope that the, you know, there's a kind of, you know, landings are kind of, there's like, like obviously an imperative quality, which makes it kind of fun for a book topic as well as, you know, for movies like Airplane. You know, I hope, I hope it's something that passengers or readers indeed will, um, will find, shows them, you know, what, what their plane is actually doing, what their pilots are doing. And even if they don't want to become pilots themselves, maybe that will make flying a more enjoyable experience. So when when we talk to pilots, I, I try and ask them a question about if I'm a passenger on your flight, how much are you going to tell me about what's happening 
on the flight deck because I know some pilots are like, I, I'll tell you everything and then you get to a certain point where you're like, I, I wish he would be quiet so I could watch my movie. And then there's other times where you're like, I wonder what's happening and there's you, you get no information whatsoever. Where, where do you kind of come down on the, you know, making announcements to the cabin? Um, that's that's a really good question. I mean, I so I started I started a column recently for the Financial Times, and I, and I asked uh, readers to send send in suggestions for topics, and I got a, a bunch of letters about exactly this question. But but people were asking basically for opposite things. Some people want a lot of information, and some people don't want uh, very much at all, aside from the essentials. I mean, I guess I kind of also I guess I think you know when you're making that first announcement uh, before t- before departure, you know if you're going to New York uh, from London and you know that half the passengers are silver gold card holders and they probably do this route more than I do. You know, they're probably not too interested in where we're going to make landfall on the Canadian coast, you know, <laughs> it's, um, they've, um, you know, that ship has sailed as, as, as it were. But of course there are some people who are probably going to New York for the first time. That must be, must be true on every flight that somebody is going to New York or London for the first time on, on a flight between them. And then if you're doing a route like, like to Cape town, for example, was, you know, most people who go there are going on a, on holiday, probably quite a few of them are going on a honeymoon. You know, it's not the kind of place people are going to be going every month. And so for those for those flights, I would give a little bit more uh, information about the route and also just to share my own enthusiasm for the kind of scale of that journey. Yeah, there's um, definitely then, a happy medium. I've had some flights where the pilot on the PA tells you that we're taking taxiway Yankee to Yankee Alpha to runway 22 left. And that's probably a bit much for pretty much anybody but there's definitely a happy medium where i know i want to hear about what altitude or what speed or or what countries we might fly over so there's definitely definitely contingent out there that wants to hear where we are without being overburdened and i, I think striking that balance is, is really important yeah i mean I, I did i remember a cape town flight a couple of years ago where we flew right over Timbuktu and I thought I thought I, of course I'm going to tell the passengers we're flying over Timbuktu I mean it's <laughs> I mean you know how how can you how can you know, how can you not I mean I think one thing you also notice on you know if you ever look at like an aviation weather forecast like they often don't say whether it's sunny what they really, what, you know what we're, what we're really concerned about is is the cloud base you know the and the visibility and so you it, it can be hard not to introduce things into your announcements before arrival that aren't really the kind of things that most people think about when they think about, I mean, when I'm going on vacation as a passenger, I basically, I basically want to know the temperature and whether it's sunny or not. And I'm not too concerned about the visibility, but of course that's such a big part of what the pilots are thinking about that it's, it's natural that, you know, we might share that information, even though it's not, you know, it's not the most, um, you know, if you're going on vacation, that's probably, you know, it's not the kind of thing you necessarily would have checked yourself. So you said you're, you're, you know, kind of the things you think about as a passenger. We were talking before this about you're going to have your, your first trip on the A220 this week. So is that, you know, is that something that, that you do a lot or, or is this just kind of a, you happen to be in a position to, to go on a, a newer craft? Is this something you're seeking out when you're not flying? Well, um, a little bit of both. I mean, so I... I'm super interested in, in just the business of, of aviation. Like I think before I became a pilot, I, I worked as a management consultant. And I think if I hadn't become a pilot, I would have gone into some kind of business side of, of flying. I think aside, I mean, obviously I love, I love flying, but I think it's just a really interesting industry. And so I, I kind of follow, you know, what's happening in it and, you know, and to fly on a plane that I've never flown on before is pretty cool. So, you know, we're going up to Boston this weekend and I saw that one of the flights was on an A220 and the timing worked out. But of course, I'm going to um, I'm going to have a good look at it. And after once we land, I'll I'll 
I'll ask if it's uh, possible to go take a, take a quick look up up front if they have time. And yeah, it's just it is just an amazing industry. The scale of these investments and the um, you know to make these these planes that that cover the entire planet, it's pretty cool. So you mentioned that you you want to visit the flight deck after the flight and. In your opinion, what's the best way to do that? Like, I'm a passenger and I want to see the flight deck or, or something like that. What's what's the the best way to ask in in, in order to get the most favorable response? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I don't. I mean, every airline has their own policy on this. I can only say for British Airways that the best way to do it is to ask uh, your cabin crew at some point uh, before takeoff. Maybe once you first get to your seat and say, "Is there a chance to go have a look at the flight deck?" Sometimes before departure, there isn't enough. There isn't time because you know we're busy loading on, you know, loading the computers and, and doing our checklists. Um, at the far end, usually there's time. You know, we're always happy to talk about airplanes. You won't be surprised to hear um, with people who are enthusiastic about them too. So usually there's there's time at the end of a flight um, to t- and to take photos. People can hop in the seat, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, the best way to, to do it is to, is to ask your cabin crew. I mean, the, the, on, on very large planes, on a on a seven forty seven, if you're if you're if you're sitting um, in the rear cabin, by the time you you've asked your cabin crew and they they make that call to us, they have to get you from the back of the plane all the way up through that that contra flow of passengers. <laughs> so it's not really maybe that all that convenient before departure. Best um, reason but, yet to only sit in the upper deck on the seven forty seven. That's a great reason to sit on the upper deck. I mean, I actually I, that's what I should have said. The best the best way to visit the flight deck is is to sit on the upper deck of seven forty seven because it's really easy if there's a few spare minutes before departure or after landing to have you come in. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, everyone not everyone, but a lot of people love love seeing the flight deck and are really interested in in flying. And um, I don't know, do you guys do you guys often go up to see if there's an opportunity or? I will absolutely try to. Yeah. Typically, I try to do it on the way out because I know before the flight, they're uh, busy, just as you said, doing pre-flight checks and loading up the computer. I'll try to peek in uh, on my way off the aircraft. But sometimes if you're sitting towards the back, the pilots are off the plane before I get off the plane. So there's no one to ask. And then Jason just goes in and, you know, does what he does. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) said no. The door was open. (laughs) So, Mark, it seems like something specifically to BA pilots is that you all seem to be on Twitter and you all seem to post absolutely phenomenal photos from the flight deck, out the windows, wherever you might be on an aircraft. What is it about BA pilots that just seem to really love just flying and being in the air? Is there there something special that, that I'm missing or is it just you all love being up there? I don't know. I mean, there's, I, I think, um, I think pilots are everywhere have a, I mean, it's one of those jobs where people just, you know, not, not everyone loves their job, but, um, but most pilots I know do love their jobs and, you know, having, being able to take photos is a, is a great way to share, um, that experience of, you know, those, those phenomenal views we get up there, which are, which are still better than any you can get from a, from the passenger cabin. And the head up display is actually kind of cool. I mean, it, it does obviously now some of my photos from cruising altitude will have a bit of the head up display in it. And I think that looks even cooler than the ones um, that didn't have it. Um, and of course, I'm really happy to see photos that people do take from the passenger cabin. So, you know, I'm on um, Twitter at uh, Mark V as in uh, Victor 747. I have not, I have not changed my Twitter handle to, to the 787 yet. And I'm always happy to get emails from my, via my website with photos. And I've, I've got a gallery that I that I put them up at. I think it's always really interesting how the best photos often have a bit of the airplane in them. I talk about this in one of my books, actually. But like if there's a bit of the wing in it or the engine, 
which we can't actually see very well from the flight from the flight deck. It's worth noting. I, I can barely see the wing on a seven eighty seven from the flight deck. And so to have those photos that have a little bit of the airplane in them, they kind of they kind of really highlight um, the fact that you're yeah you know, you're not just seeing that, but you're seeing it in this kind of amazing from this amazing machine. Do you guys are you uh, do you often take photos from the from the window seat? that you uh... pretty much nonstop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's difficult not to. I mean, I agree. Not, also, I totally not agree. always. Sometimes it's video. Yeah, I took a few a few years ago. I was on a seven forty seven um, as a passenger, and it was coming back across the Atlantic on the day flight from New York. The one that leaves in the morning gets to London in the evening, and so it was it was getting. The sun was going down as we were flying east, and I did this video from looking at the back of the wing with that, you know, with the flow coming out of the engine, catching this like this pink and red light from the sun, which we couldn't, you couldn't even see the setting sun it was behind us, but but the light on the wing and on the um, engine uh, was just, yeah, made for this really awesome video. Yeah, I mean, there's just something about photos and video from you know from altitude that they're just better than all the other photos and videos. I, there's there's, there's, there's <laughs> that quality. There's no doubt. Yeah, but, uh, there's no doubt about that. And what I'm loving now that I see uh, specifically again BA pilots posting pictures of the flight management system or, or just out the window while they're still in the air, while they're in the crew rest bunk, which I find amazing that they're working a flight <laughs> and they're tweeting pictures from that flight. That's just, it kind I, of I, blows I my even, mind. I, I haven't even seen that. That's amazing. The beauty of in-flight connectivity. But, well, some of my favorite photos are, um, I don't know if you guys, this has ever happened to you, but I actually ended um, Skyfaring with a story about this. But, you know, when you're coming into land um, and the sun is casting your, your plane's own shadow on the ground and you can see it, and then the shadow gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you until you meet it, and you meet it when you land. Have, have you guys had that experience? Or? Oh yeah, just on my last flight actually through Iceland. Wow, wow, yeah, I love. Well, if you had if you had a clear day in Iceland, that that's pretty rare as well, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> direct well, direct sunlight is not is not always uh, on on the cards there. But uh, it's yeah, it's one of my. So I love I love those photos. I absolutely love them. I think they they sum up everything I love about flying. Mark, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This has been a, a really fun conversation, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading the new book, which comes out in the U.S. on the 30th of April, How to Land a Plane. It's out in parts of Europe. It's been out for a while now, but we're getting our, our first chance. Well, Jason has a, an advanced Swedish copy, so so he's going <laughs> to review that, learn Swedish to review well, it. first, I got to learn how to read Swedish. Then so we'll, so it will, we'll give him till next week and excellent, go from excellent. there. But Mark... Van Honecker, a pilot, author, extraordinaire. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure, and I hope to see you guys on board. Thanks so much, Mark. Thank you. Thanks. Welcome back. I, I feel like that was a, a very interesting conversation with kind of two separate people because of the way that that Mark has has kind of structured his career. It, it's you know like I don't know how he has the time. I guess is what I'm saying. I don't it's know. It's rather impressive. I don't know, but it was an exceptionally interesting conversation with a, a very kind person to give us that much of his time while he is. I guess he's here in New York. But that was that was one of our best conversations, I think. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And hopefully, he enjoyed his A220 flight. Yes. Oh, that's right. That would have happened already by now, huh? I I wonder if they let him onto the flight deck. Huh? Eh, we should look into that. Follow up. Speaking of flight decks, one that I would love to get into is the Strato Launch flight deck. Yeah, I think that would be a lot of fun. 
admittedly, <clears throat> I have not been following this too closely, and I know it's a it's a very, 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 very large aircraft. I think it is the largest wingspan of any aircraft that's ever flown, and it's built purposely to uh, launch rockets, I think. Which is why, in fact, they called it the Stratolaunch. Wow, look at that. Did you know? I did know. So, you know, I, I, we're, the, the knowledge that is forthcoming in this episode is... I don't even know what to call it. But I I know there was some, this was Paul Allen's thing, right? Yeah. So, so this was Paul Allen's kind of company and they had been working towards the first flight for, for quite some time. And they had done taxi tests earlier this year and thought they were going to get it. And they finally got it off the ground for a good first flight uh, last week. And so um, it uh, was, was the, the pictures were incredible and, and we'll, we'll link to a couple of those in the show notes because it was just watching this thing get off the, it's, you know, it's, it's every time the, you know, it's like the Antonov AN-225 every time that takes off. You're like, should that thing really be okay to Is that fly? supposed to be in the air? Yeah. But this was even more incredible because I mean, it's, it, it's a dual hull it's similar to uh, to White Knight Two and Virgin's, you know, space uh, spatial, and how it, you know, it has a kind of a, a main area in the center between t- the the two fuselages to hold its its cargo, a rocket really, and then it climbs up to altitude and then releases the rocket. So that that'll be really cool to see as they you know continue testing that. Yeah, um, best of what, luck. What to actually them. happens? Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward but to. But they should really see. install ADSB on that thing. They really should. Yeah, it's tracked by MLAT, which is less rather, than ideal. You know, it is less than ideal. So hopefully they're well, they have to do it by ADSB 2020, right? Will uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless I mean, it's experimental, then I, I don't know. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure launching a rocket from an airplane's. I don't know if that's still experimental at this point. I don't know. Anyway. I don't know either, but yeah, no. So that's something that that really cool that happened, and and it'll be really cool to to follow along and, and see as they continue to develop the aircraft and, and as a launch platform. Also, really cool news today was something in your backyard. Oh yes, I mean almost literally in my backyard um, from where I used to live. But if you've been following the progression of the TWA hotel being built at JFK, they announced something. Particularly fantastic today. Now they've always said there would be a uh, a deck on top of one of the towers there, and they released a rendering of the spotting deck slash pool slash bar. And boy, is it going to be good if you like really good views of the uh, aircraft ramp and the runways out at JFK, you're going to have a good time. So now this is on top of one of the two towers they built adjacent to the old TWA terminal at JFK, and it has an infinity edge heated pool looking over the the alleyway between JetBlue's T5 and the International T4. In the distance, you can see runways uh, four and four left and right in the two twos. And it's going to be pretty spectacular if the rending, rendering is at all like the real thing. It opens, I believe, May 15th. I will be there on opening night as a, as a paid guest because I can't believe it's finally happening. Now, do you think a hotel would have a resident podcast? Potentially. Could we move in? Potentially. I mean, my commute to work would be quite a bit longer if I lived at JFK, but it, I'd be willing to make that sacrifice. 
I mean, if you live to JFK, I'm sure we could work out some sort of helicopter transport. Mm. Actually, there already is arranged helicopter transportation between JFK and across the street from my office. So that would be quite good, but expensive. I have just solved all of our all problems. All of our problems have been solved. So what's next? You do not actually have to be a hotel guest to visit the rooftop deck and bar. You have to make reservations on their website, but I believe that is free. You might have to buy a drink. I don't know. Details will follow once I go visit there and, and stare at airplanes for a while. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that uh, in a future episode for sure, because I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the views are, not in a rendering, but in reality. I mean, it's, it's going to be pretty damn close to what is in reality because it opens in, in like 20 days. So the building is pretty much done. So if the rendering doesn't look like reality by now, there's a problem. Well, I want to see pictures is what I'm saying. And you will have them May 15th. Let's talk about some things that don't belong in engines. Oh, how about let's go with a new one, an owl. Ooh, that is new. Yeah. Owls don't belong in engines, but a Virgin Australia pilot was doing a routine walk around of his aircraft before departing, honestly, I don't know where, somewhere in or around Australia and found an owl inside the engine. I guess it was nesting there or was it was looking for warmth or something and just hanging out inside uh, a 737-800's engine. And thankfully, it was spotted before they fired up the engine and the owl would have met a, a rather unfortunate and quick demise. Yeah, that would have been a whole whole different problem. Yeah, so that's that's a great spot by them, and I guess it is exactly why they do a walk around. But uh, meanwhile, in uh, nearby China, once again, passengers are throwing coins into the damn engine. There's got to be at some point, like maybe stop boarding without a, like a canopy or something. I don't know. I mean, I've seen them use canopies over jet bridges, or, or I'm sorry, over air stairs, but you have to walk up to that point from between the bus and the air stairs. And then that short time, people are throwing coins into the airplane engine for good luck because I guess they just don't know any better. That would be a really weird PSA to run on on television in China. Very specific issue to have to broadcast nationally. I mean, I, I think you've mentioned it before, like just put a cover over the engine and, and this problem will go away. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, at some point they're going to have to figure out something, but I feel like we hear about this once or twice a month now. Right. Like eventually society will catch up in in China and they will realize this is not something you're supposed to do. You do not gain good luck by throwing fod into engines. You will, in fact, create very bad luck by doing that. Um, But until then, you've really got to start putting covers over the engines there. Yeah, just, you know, just have, yeah, I don't know, something. So you were on the internet. Me? As you sometimes are. I've been known to dabble. And someone mentioned there was maybe a plane in distress near your location. And sure enough, there was. There was indeed. I guess this was last week already. We had a bout of some really, really dense fog in the New York metro area and a little Cessna going from Niagara Falls to Farmingdale out on Long Island decided that it would be a great time to uh, you know, try to transit that area into Farmingdale and they, they made several attempts to land at Farmingdale unsuccessfully. They couldn't see the runway um, due to the, the, due to the uh, dense fog so they tried JFK several times 
that they were running quite low on fuel and they did a number of approaches and at some point they just ran out of fuel and kind of i guess it wasn't really a ditching but it was kind of a crash but almost not really the the case is a little odd so the um air traffic control tower lost contact with the the flight but they couldn't dispatch helicopters to try to locate the aircraft because the fog was so dense so someone from JFK actually reached out to me and said, hey, hey, have you heard anything about an aircraft crashed on a part of the JFK? And I said, no, but I'll take a look. And sure enough, not too far from the neighborhood I grew up in, this little Cessna, I guess you could say it crashed into a neighborhood, but somehow managed to catch itself into the power and telecom line strung up between the poles and never actually hit the ground, did it? No, it, it it just kind of it was the used the I mean not on purpose, but basically used the high the the electricity wires as as a, a, a resting wires and just kind of dragged them slowly to the ground and the people in the plane were able to get out. Yeah, so it was traveling quite slowly. Um, I, I guess the the pilot flying did a great job in, in making sure that they came down to earth quite slowly. And it looks like the wires that they hit didn't even snap, but it, it actually gently kind of broke their fall to the ground. And sure enough, I, I did a search on, on Twitter, I think, airplane plus valley stream, and then pop out comes some pictures of this airplane dangling from the uh the telephone poles on long island and said up oh, found it for you there is it. it's right there it's right there yeah an airplane does not go down in areas as dense as, as long island or new york city and and nobody notices it's it's someone's gonna spot it and sure enough there it was dangling in someone's front yard so that's uh you know, a very bad situation ends surprisingly well. Yeah, and I thought it was particularly, particularly nice that the the mayor of the the I guess it's the village of Valley Stream put out a statement saying like, "Look, we live here, and airplanes crashing in our neighborhood is always a possibility." And like, hmm, good of him to say that. Like, just out, out, just come out and say it. Like, yeah, airplanes are always on approach or over us. Sometimes it's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I guess an interesting recognition. Of, of <laughs> sometimes where you live it and... ends up happening, but no one gets hurt except for uh, yeah. a few fiber and copper lines. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad that that all worked out. What do you say we leave it there and call this episode 56 of Avtalk? We're done. Go go drink some Dayquil or Nyquil <laughs> or, or cough drops. I, I think or I'm something. gonna have my yeah cough drops and my ninth glass of glass of tea of the day. So hopefully I can regain a voice for next episode. But thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you have comments, questions, feedback, as always, please email us podcast at fr24.com. We do read everything and take your suggestions to heart, and we'll have some things in our next episode, building on some feedback that we received from the last episode, and we'll get into that a little bit more next episode. But until then, I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you for listening.